We are on iron. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in. This is the Lean Startup Podcast. I'm Eric Reese. And uh, we are experimenting with a new format for um, talking about some Lean Startup topics uh, in advance of the Lean Startup Conference, which is coming up December 9th through 11th uh, in San Francisco. We hope you will join us to have a conversation about advanced topics in entrepreneurship, trying to get beyond the basics this year. And that's our goal. So uh, I will let our guest introduce herself, and then we will uh, have a conversation. Hi, I'm Elena, and uh, my background is in education, and I recently joined the startup community, and the book Lean Startup was kind of my introduction to it. Oh, thank now, you. At the moment, I'm working with two educational um, startups. One is called Blue Blue. It's a language learning um, platform. And another one is called Exploring. It's uh, learning any skills on video in any languages. So I would like to ask a couple of questions about actionable metrics. Okay. Because as you say in your book, you know, reading is great, but doing is better. Amen. Yeah. So I read the book. I, I loved all the ideas. I, I found it very, very useful. And now I want to actually start implementing it. You know, well, doing you. it on a doing it on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So, um, using actionable metrics is a skill, and as all skills, it must be learned, right? How would you recommend a person who is in a startup or in a big company, no matter where, like, start, you know, learning this skill? Yeah. All right. So let's start with. What are actionable metrics for those who don't know? The, the idea here is to have metrics that you look at, you know, as you say, on a daily basis, on a regular basis, that really indicate cause and effect, that help us understand which actions that we took were the ones that drove these results. So if anyone's ever made the mistake of using vanity metrics, like the yeah. gross number of registered users or, you know, a graph of cumulative users over time, you know, you look at this noise in the graph and you wonder like, oh, I wonder what did we do on August 3rd that made the number seem to go up and oh, why did it go down on November 4th? We don't know. The problem is there's a lot of random noise in these vanity metrics. Actionable metrics are supposed to be the antidote. Of course, that begs the question, as you say, well, what, what metrics should we actually look at? And your point is, how do we develop the skill of using learning metrics uh, in, in our organization? So yes. to me, the heart of this is, all right, why do we want to have these metrics? I mean, it's useful, you know, we want to have board meetings, we want to be able to report things, but fundamentally, we want to be able to hold people accountable. That's what, that's why we measure these metrics. I know people sometimes think that the language of accountability says, oh, we're going to fire somebody, or, you know, it sounds like management talk or whatever, but fundamentally, accountability simply means uh, when we spend the company's resources, which often are our investors' resources, or resources that we borrowed, you know, beg, borrowed, and stole from somebody else. When we spend those resources, how do we know that we were responsible with that versus not? So that's how I think about why we're looking at these numbers. And in order to develop the skill of actionable metrics, you have to, on a very regular basis, set out an objective and then hold yourself accountable for hitting that objective via metrics. So just classic example, you know, I, you tell us a story of... Uh, a time when a designer came in and wanted to redesign our uh, registration process at a company I was working for. And they had a whole proposal. Let's make it, you know, beautiful, let's improve, make the design responsive, let's put rounded corners in, like let's really make it a lot better. And I said, okay, great, what's the metric 
how will we know that we did the right thing? How do we know that we're learning something of value through this experiment? And the person said, well, you know, it'll make us have more signups. And it's like, well, how do I know that we got more signups because of the redesign versus, you know, so we went over and over again. Like, how do I know? How do we know? How do we know? How do we know? What did you learn? How do we know? Those are the really the actionable metrics questions. And eventually what we came to an agreement on was we'll do a split test experiment. We'll see on a per customer basis, does the new design improve the behavior of the old design? And then from there we can, you know, continue to iterate. I tell you that story because it, it, it really is the answer to the skill of actionable metrics. The person who I was having this argument with was pretty adamant that this whole metrics measurement thing was a waste of time. He was a really good designer and he knew that, you know, he looked at something, he could tell what a better design was or not. And I was at the point of view, look, a better design is one that changes customer behavior. So if you're right, I don't doubt that you are a great designer. I don't doubt that your intuition is correct, but let's just double check to make sure. Right, that was kind of the whole framing of it. And when we first did the first experiment after a couple months, it didn't improve the metrics. And, you know, it was very frustrating for everybody. Well, hold on, you know, what do we do? It's actually worse than the old thing. So that really forced us to learn and grow and to iterate and to try again and try again. And again, eventually we discovered that there were some things about the design that were better. It's not this guy was incompetent. It's just the details matter a great deal and, and a few things have been overlooked that turned out to be important about the old design. So that's the most important exercise, I think, is to set out targets and really hold yourself accountable for trying, trying, trying again to hit those targets. And what you'll find is either you get better at the underlying task, like you get better at the design, you get better at improving performance, or whatever the customer behavior you want to drive is, or sometimes you'll say, you know, I really think we've done a better job these past six months improving this product, but the metrics don't show it. Are we really looking at the right metrics? You know, is there too much noise in our signal? Should we, you know, maybe do a retrospective and try to figure out what's going on? How do you define those actionable metrics? You know, which ones to look at? Because as you said, there's lots of, lots of information, lots of noise. How do you become an expert at determining which metrics are important for your organization? Well, every organization is different, and yep. you know, you have to, you have to draw the metrics you want to look at from your company business plan. Okay, I mean, people are like, business plan? That, that, that document that we have in a drawer somewhere that no one ever looks at? <laughs> but fundamentally, the th there's somewhere, somebody at some point in a company's life, and this is true for mission-driven organizations, social impact organizations, government organizations, somebody made a plan at some point to get the resources together to do this thing. And the plan made some promises about what's going to happen in the future. Like, we're going to have hyper-growth and make a lot of money. Okay, good. I'm very glad that you made that promise. The metrics we want to look at are the micro behaviors that when aggregated together will lead to that macro outcome. So for example, in the business plan there's a spreadsheet. The spreadsheet says, uh, you know, if 10% of customers buy and we get a $13 per customer average selling price, then we can acquire new customers for $3 and, you know, has a bunch of input drivers that make a spreadsheet show that beautiful hockey stick shape over time. And if we are willing to really go look at that spreadsheet and say, well, what, what specific customer behaviors drive the outcome that we want, those are our actionable metrics. You know, as I said, it's a skill that you have to develop and uh, it really helps if you have a mentor someone who can guide you from through that process because there's yeah. a lot of information online there 
books, like reading a book is great, but then you're in the real world and you're bombarded with all kinds of, you know, daily things that you have to deal with. And how to find the mentors and the people who have, you know, gone through the process and are willing to, to share it. Uh, it's very tricky. I mean, there's a, a whole community of what are called growth hackers now here in Silicon Valley. It's a hot topic of people who have kind of really been through the trenches of driving hypergrowth through this kind of experiment-driven, metrics-driven uh, approach. Uh, they're very difficult to hire because they're highly in demand. And it's like hiring one of these you know, famous growth hackers is almost like taking a VC investment from a famous venture capital firm. Like, these are people who really can do whatever they want with their time. They've really, you know, done it. And so they want to go work at hot companies. So the irony is this is a rich get richer kind of situation. The companies with the strongest growth attract the best growth hackers, which allows them to have even stronger growth, which allows them to attract even better people. So it's not like, you know, it's not really fair if you're trying to break into the business. If you want to get, you know, a mentorship, it's actually quite difficult. Um, you know, there are a lot of great mentorship programs, you know, like Y Combinator and Techstars, and I think one of the reasons, uh, 500 Startups, of course, a lot of, one of the reasons I think those programs add value is they're able to take people from the outside of these networks and get them plugged in and connected. I mean, I was just, I'm an investor in a company called Panorama that just raised an educa education startup. It was just in Y Combinator, just announced their fundraising the other day. I didn't even know this, but uh, Mark Zuckerberg is their lead investor. These are kids who are like 22, just graduated from school, have this company. How did they meet Mark Zuckerberg? Well, he was at a Y Combinator you know, dinner, and yeah. they went up to him and said, hey, we're doing this education thing, and Mark's really interested in education, and boom, next thing you know, they've got Mark Zuckerberg as a mentor. So, you know, how can you get Mark Zuckerberg as a mentor? I don't know. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't have him as a mentor, but these guys were able to figure it out and make it happen. What I would say is um, a lot of these things are new. So there aren't really like world experts like lying around on the streets to go get. And in fact, a lot of the people passing themselves off as experts, frankly, aren't. Or the advice they're given is so generic, it's not really that helpful. So I think the most important thing with a mentor, with myself, with a book, with any resource you want to bring into a company is to say, all right, how do I know that what that person is saying is true? If it's by analogy or by story, like, they're rich. A lot of people are like, hey, look, a rich person. He's giving me advice. He must be right. How else could he have gotten rich? But I know a lot of rich people. That's not a good plan. So better yet to say, all right, how can I translate something that that person's on record saying into an experiment that I can run myself? Yes. You know, if my theory about actionable metrics is correct, prove it. Prove it to yourself. Don't just come into your office and be like, everybody, I read this great book. Everybody read this book. Like That doesn't accomplish anything, although I'm very grateful for the book sales. Uh, what really matters is can you get the team to teach themselves, hey, we were really wasting a lot of time on these vanity metrics and now you know, we're making better progress. It's, it's making more sense. So it's like take what they're saying, turn it into a theory, test it, and see what the results are. And here's the great thing. Speaking as someone who gets asked to be a mentor or advisor quite often these days, um, there's nothing more compelling to a potential advisor or investor or person than to say, I took what you said seriously, I tested it myself, and I learned something new. And here's something you might not have realized, or something you know that I found really interesting, or you probably noticed. Because most of us who will give advice often, nobody listens. So it's like, you know, I write this book and I, you know, I every day now read articles. People say, Oh, here's six things wrong with lean startup, and it's like, God I didn't even read the book. 
these criticisms are off bad. Like if there's a good criticism, there's a valid criticism, there's something I chance for me to learn something new, I'm psyched. That's my that's what I live for is to learn something new. So uh, I think that actually being experimental and testing people's ideas can also make you uh, stand out from the crowd. Yes, for example, you know, I'm passionate about languages. And oh. I had a theory that I could teach my husband Spanish in two weeks. Wow. And I, you know, I wrote down the theory, I wrote down what I'm going to do, and I actually did it. We only spoke Spanish for two weeks. Uh -huh. And at the end, we had a video where we're speaking Spanish to each other at a like, normal conversation. So, you know, it was an idea that was tested that, that, that worked. So I'm really into experiments and I'm really into like analyzing things. What I'm struggling with is, you know, finding those step-by-step -step things that I could follow, even though I, well, I mean, it doesn't have to, as you say, it's all unique, but at the same time, um, just to get going with it, you need someone, you know, to guide you, as I said, and as an educator, you know, I'm so interested in how yeah. to make it work for more people, how to make it available for more people, how to make your ideas, like, really actionable, like, the actionable uh -huh. metrics, like, actionable, that you yeah. could start from day one, like, oh, I read the book, it's amazing, <laughs> what do I do next? <laughs> you know, I'll give you one framework, maybe, that, that you find helpful, I call engines of growth. And I mentioned this in the book, but it doesn't get too much detailed billing because it's kind of complicated and involves math. But since, since you have an interest in metrics and since it seems to me like just reading between the lines of what you're saying, one of the questions here is, okay, I have a product that has some value. You know, I, I have a passionate mission. I'm making some progress. But, you know, how do I get that growth to, to accelerate? Am I right? How do I, how do I get much more impact than I'm having today? How do I analyze the data? In a, in a structured way, um, because well, like, why, for example, let me interrupt you. Why do you want? Why do you want to analyze data? What is the goal that you want to achieve? The goal is my final goal of you know educating more people, right? Yeah. In my right. in That's my in my term. And not and, like hundreds of more people. You mean millions of more people? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That, That's why I quit my job as a teacher because I want to have a like bigger impact. Sure. And very um, common. No, listen, you're asking the right questions, and I'm laughing only because um, this is not a, you actually don't have a tools problem, in my opinion. You have a theory problem. Yes. So let me, let me try to answer it in a way that then will make it obvious what tools you need. Okay. And, so. and when I talk to entrepreneurs, everybody wants growth. I mean, growth is the number one thing people want in a startup situation. That's why they formed a company in the first place, as you said, to have an impact on the world, to make a dent in the universe, that kind of stuff. So where does growth come from? I think there are two kinds of growth, what we call sustainable and unsustainable growth. Unsustainable is the one-time, you know, stunts, PR, big spike, TechCrunch article, you know, show some clever campaign, uh, you know, did a one-time thing. Uh, you blew a lot of money on a Super Bowl ad. It's kind of the classic unsustainable growth technique. And then sustainable growth is growth that can drive, I, I don't think unsustainable growth can get you to massive impacts because fundamentally your ability to do stunts and PR is limited by you know the, the number of people on your team and the number of good ideas you have but more importantly by just the time and energy to execute those things and as your company grows 
your stunts have to grow, you know, exponentially more impactful. But most stunts, usually the first stunt you do is the best one. You usually get worse over time. Anyway, I don't think that's a sustainable path. Sustainable growth is characterized by one simple rule. The rule is new customers come from the actions of past customers. If that happens, then you get this flywheel, we call it an engine, like a combustion engine effect, where each round of growth powers the next one. And you can get these compounding type effects. And if you think that through, I really have only found three models of how that growth happens so far. I call them the three engines of growth, sticky, viral, and paid. And, yes. And you've read the book, so you know about them. The key here is that each engine makes certain demands on what customer behaviors have to be true for your product or business to have a huge impact. So if, you know, like, imagine, I'm, I'm trying to think of a language learning service. I'm, I'm just going to make some things up. I don't want you to give away any proprietary info, so just don't bother to correct me, but I'm just going to imagine that, some, like, this is similar to a dating site. People don't want to be learning the language forever. Long-term retention is not the goal. People want to have a success and then move on to, you know, go back to their regular life or maybe they want to learn a language in order to get a new job or move to a new place or just as a recreational activity. But fundamentally, they want to accomplish that goal and move on. So the question is, okay, what are the specific behaviors that are going to drive hypergrowth? I can really only think of two possibilities. One is that this is a viral product. If it's viral, that doesn't just mean people love it and has great word of mouth. Viral, you know, a virus is not optional. You can't like be like, oh my God, it's a pandemic, but I'm going to opt out. I'm not interested. Like, no, the point of a pandemic is involuntary transmission from person to person. So if new customers are basically forced to use the product as a side effect of customers using it, think about a product like PayPal where when I send you money, you have to sign up for PayPal to get the money, and everybody wants the money, so they have to sign up. If it's that kind of situation, then you could get what we call a viral engine of growth, and we could talk about viral coefficient. But I don't really see that happening here unless I'm you know, missing something, because fundamentally, if I take a room full of 10 people or 100 people, and one of them really wants to learn German, what are the odds that of the other 99 people in the room, how many of them also want to learn German with me? You know, maybe a few, but not like 99. Versus if I have 100 people and I say, who wants free money? Pretty much, you know, the other 99 are all going to say, yeah, if you're willing to send me money, I will gladly receive it. So it doesn't feel like the right circumstance. So if we can't use the sticky engine of growth because they're not going to be high retention. Not going to use the viral engine of growth because we're not going to get this kind of uh, involuntary transmission. Then it's going to have to be the paid engine of growth. How does the paid engine of growth work? Well, you say you take the revenue you earn from one customer and you reinvest that in customer acquisition. So if you want to grow hypergrowth that way, you have to be able to recycle that money really quickly to get the compounding effects and then ultimately the hockey stick. Does that make sense? Yes. So what are the key metrics? Now, like we went from a really abstract question of what actionable metrics should one use in general? What should I do in Google Analytics? I can now boil your whole business down really fundamentally to two numbers that matter. One is, what is the marginal cost of acquisition of a customer? So you can't, don't cheat and say, well, I spent $100 on marketing today and I got 10,000 customers, therefore, you know, it's a certain, only a few cents because some of those customers you got through SEO, some of them you got through just word of mouth, some of them you just got because, you know, friends of friends and what, all that acquisition doesn't count. The acquisition that really matters in the paid engine of growth is the acquisition you paid for on a per customer basis, so the cost per acquisition. How does that compare to the marginal 
uh, revenue you make per customer. So this is CPA versus lifetime value. If you're if you have marginal profit on a per customer basis, then we can start to talk about turns and some of the more advanced stuff. But fundamentally, this business will grow if that marginal profit is positive. So unlike a business like Facebook, where charging customers money is not important, here getting really good at optimizing pricing, figuring out uh, marketing channels that are sustainable, you know, a lot of the traditional growth hacking techniques are going to be absolutely vital uh, to your success. Now, I just made all that up, so if my premises are not correct, obviously my conclusions are not right. But I just wanted to see kind of like walking through, starting with the goal of sustainable growth, new customers coming from the actual past customers, we can find our way down to a very specific set of metrics that have to be true in order for your business to have the kind of growth it says in your business plan. And once you know what you're trying to measure, figuring out the right tools is pretty easy. Is that helpful? Yes, very. All right, cool. All right, we got to wrap up. Uh, thank you, uh, Elena, for being on the show and uh, for helping us with this experiment. We, we much appreciate it. I hope this is helpful. Yes, very helpful. Thank you. Oh, good. It's my pleasure. Okay, one closing comment. Don't forget the Lean Startup Conference is coming up December 9th through 11th in San Francisco. Details at leanstartup.co. See you all there.